Welcome back to Season 5 of Comic Book Nation, the only show that does it all for geek culture and the official podcast of comicbook.com. Hello, I'm your host, Kofi Outlaw, and today I have in the studio with me Mr. Connor Casey, and at home... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Say hi. Say your highs. What up? I'm going to speed through this today because we got special things going on. And at home, we have Janelle Wheeler and Matthew Aguilar. And we have so much to do, as we say, we do it all for geek culture. And today we are going all around the world and back. We have new movies, new comics, tabletop gaming, wrestling, a whole bunch of stuff to talk about. But first, Matt, we also have a very special guest that I would love you to introduce. No, for sure. Uh, I'm excited. I'm always excited when we get to talk DC, but I'm especially excited when we get to talk Green Lantern. Uh, and we have with us Alan Scott, the Green Lantern writer, Tim Sheridan. Bring him on on. We need the sound effect of cheering. I know. We really need like a clap sound effect. Or, or like, like a horn, horn. Like DJ horn, yeah. Bye. Really, whoa, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> we did need the air horn. I know. You know what I should have said is what up? Just like in the intro. Yeah. <laughs> smart. We're, we we like it like simple and clean here. I also throw in a bunch of 90s references that people tell me I can't use. Oh, it's not cool. But I, yes, but I ref I refuse. I will not be denied. <laughs> so, uh, Tim, uh, welcome uh, to the show. Uh, I'm excited. Obviously, it's it's well known. I'm a very much a big Green Lantern fan, and you know, Alan Scott, the Green Lantern number one. Alan Scott is very much a beloved character within the Green Lantern mythology, but also within the Justice League, or sorry, the Justice Society of America fandom. So he's kind of like you know. Uh, beloved on on various fronts for you kind of moving into this series what excited you about the character what elements were you looking to kind of spotlight in the series you know it was it was a thing that grew out of flashpoint beyond and when i was working with um jeremy adams and jeff johns and jeff had this idea for doing uh this this initiative I, I guess is the word for it of the new golden age um which is why you see wesley dodds the sandman jay garrick the flash and alan scott the green lantern on shelves so you know <laughs> what excited me was first of all um the 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 idea of doing uh an alan scott book for the first time in nearly three quarters of a century like he hasn't had a title Jeez. um which is which is you know terrifying <laughs> <laughs> but also, no pressure. yeah no pressure but, um but but there was i i knowing that we were going back to the 30s and 40s i felt like there, there's just so much to fill in and to layer in especially through our modern understanding uh and his modern understanding of who he is uh alan scott um that uh you know i'm you know as a as a queer comic book creator and TV writer. And, um, I, you know, for me, this was an opportunity to get to tell a part of, uh, you know, not only superhero mythology, but also queer history that, um, that I never expected I would get to explore. So that was really exciting for me personally. Um, but also, you know, hugely terrifying. That's a perfect. That's like a perfect segue into my question, which was up next, which is that this story is a deep dive into DC lore. But as you just said, it's also a very like terrifying and haunting look at like what LGBTQ life was in that era. And like I was really interested as I went through the book. And let me tell you, this was a quite a week to read this and James Tinian's Deviant all at once in like one long sitting. 
I just came away just like staring at the wall paint, like, oh my gosh. But I wanted to know, like, when you were doing this, what kind of research of actual historical fact did you find? Was there anything, because it comes through the book as almost like, like a very strong kind of horror presence. So I was wondering what kind of terrifying things did you learn when you were doing any kind of research into this about actual historical fact? I mean, I, it's such a good question. Nobody's asked me this. And, um, and it's a, I think it's a heartbreaking answer, which is that for someone like me, um, this, this isn't something you have to do a whole lot of historical research to understand because so much of what Alan Scott is up against in this book, in his personal life, is still alive today. I mean, you know, look, look I, just to be completely frank, you see it with some of the online, you know, reaction to or pre-reaction before the book even came out from people with an agenda who really, you know, didn't don't like the fact that there's a queer hero in the upper ranks of the, the DCU. Um, this stuff is still still very tricky. And we live with it every day as as queer people. Um, but I think it's so important. This is not just a book for the LGBTQIA plus community. This is a story, our stories are for everyone. This story is for everyone. It has to be because, you know, I'm not, I'm not out here to, I'm not being, um, you know, a, 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 an activist over here. I'm trying to tell a great superhero story, but, you know, superhero comics have always had a lot to say about the world that we live in and have a lot to teach us about the world that we live in. And I think the only way we ever get better is when we tell each other our stories and when we listen to each other's stories. And comic books are such an accessible, fun even way to, to, to get those stories across. So for me, it's a lifetime of experience that comes to this book. It's why Jeff, when he called me and pitched me doing an Alan Scott book, he said, look, I think you have a story to tell here. And I didn't know that. I didn't go in and say, I want to tell an Alan Scott story. That wasn't the way this first happened. It happened where Jeff said, I think you have a story to tell. Do you think you have a story to tell? And I had to think about it. And then I realized, yeah, yeah, I've got a story to tell. Because what he's going through in the 1930s and 40s is exactly what we're still going through today. So we need to talk about it. And and hopefully have some fun along the way, especially with like the Red Lantern, which is this the the concept for this golden age red lantern arch nemesis character is so cool you know this character that, that he created that jeff created you know i just couldn't resist that um you know that's a really long answer to say there's a lot of there are a lot of resources out there by the way in terms of historical research oh you can't have a better partner on a book than key and tormy when you're going into american history in particular kean is an you know from ireland and he is such a student of U.S. history that one of the great things in the, the first scene of this book that takes place between J. Edgar Hoover, there it is right now, and <laughs> Scott was a suggestion from Kean early in the process because he had read a, a book called Gay Washington years ago, um, which really detailed a lot of what J. Edgar Hoover was doing and the sort of compromising material he gathered on on queer people during his time at the FBI and, and how he would use that material to get things he wanted. And when Kean talked about that, I had made a vague reference 
to J. Edgar Hoover in the outline. And I said, oh, yeah, like we should really just set the stage right away and show the 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 tricky, you know, parts of being the Green Lantern in 1941 with a guy like J. Edgar Hoover, uh, you know, at, at the FBI. If you read the Golden Age books, if you read All-Star Comics, you know that the JSA worked for Hoover and his FBI. So we're not reinventing the wheel here, but we are giving it real world context, you know, maybe right. for the first time. Yeah, that scene is really haunting, especially the way you nail mm -hmm. the dialogue of how this is discussed without being discussed and what it was like in the time period and all the kind of kind of extortion weight he puts on him right. in there. And that was just that was a fantastic scene. Yeah. Well, it's funny, too, because that's a perfect segue, because that now knowing I'm just here to that, help you guys out with segues. I mean, that's this is wonderful. This, this is, is this what I do. This is great. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, You're in segues, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's um, because that scene, it's so funny to, to know that, like, that wasn't actually, like, in the, in, like, your original, you know, story, and then that kind of formed mm -hmm. organically, because that scene and just Alan's overall involvement with the JSA, it's just so interesting, because, you know, the, the JSA kind of really gives off these... Um, you know, like quintessential, like golden age vibes, right? You don't necessarily sometimes um, wrongly, I'll say, but like associate of uh, some of the more complex issues uh, at times mm -hmm. with like characters of that era. And so seeing how Alan actually becomes a part of them and that it wasn't, not only was it not his idea, but he was, you know, forced really to, to do it otherwise than have, you know, this whole side of himself, you know, um, brought out without, you know, his consent, like, how did, did you always kind of know, cause you were always going to be, you know, involving the JSA, but like, did that, how did that kind of come about it? And what is it like kind of working from that angle with those two? You know, I wasn't always going to involve the JSA. That oh. is, this is such a, I love this chat because I'm getting to show you what a collaborative process this really is. And, and, uh, you know, I, my initial pitch was a year before the JSA formed. And uh, I thought it would be cleaner and easier to sort of focus on on Alan in his first days in New York City, having left Gotham and and being the, the great hero of New York at that time. Um, and uh, our editor, Andrew Marino, uh, said, I, I really think you should set this a year later. I think the JSA should just have been formed. I think it's gonna give you an opportunity to tell more of the story that you're trying to tell about a man with, whose secret identity has a secret identity, who, who can't, and by the way, if we're going to do this, DC came to me and they said, we want you to write a story about a queer superhero in the 1940s. And if I'm gonna do that, I have to, it has to be honest. And, and it's still true to this day that people who are closeted often isolate themselves and we will isolate ourselves. We will um, keep people at arm's length for fear that they will find out who we are. And there's the consequences for that are, are lesser today than they were then. So imagine, and then put it on the scale of being incredibly famous. It's one thing to be a superhero and have powers, but remember these are also the most famous people in the world. And so when you put it all on that stage, we have to be honest about it. And I think Alan would would say, fine, I want there to be a JSA, put my name on the masthead, but 
I'm going to keep doing my own thing because I can't get too close for fear that my behavior, my life, the things that I do and the person that I am, which by the laws of the day is criminal, will tarnish the great work of the JSA. How can I, a criminal in my bedroom, stand up there and call myself a hero with all of these other great heroes. He can do it to himself. He can get up there and be the Green Lantern and reconcile it for himself for a time. But but can he do that to that organization? That's a really, I think, very honest point of view that we tried to take. And I'm so glad that Andrew said, you know, let's 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 bring in the JSA on this, because um, I think it opened up all new avenues for the story that that are necessary, I think, to get to tell his story. That's awesome. Man, dude, this is so moving. I'm like, I feel like I'm going to get teary-eyed while we're doing this interview. <laughs> um, so let's bring it, let's make it a little crazy now. We're going to talk about uh, the threat in this issue. Just so you know, I'm kind of new to uh, the Green Lantern, and I just want you to know that this was beautifully told. Like, the story was so easy for me to follow. So if anyone's listening and you're like, I don't know anything about Alan, I know nothing about backstory, I don't know how, like, read this. You're going to follow. It's going to be great. The backstory character development is great. So I just wanted I'm to crying. let you know that. I'm crying. Um, I know you touched on, I think you touched on the villain here earlier in a question and that spoiled it for me because I actually don't know who it is. So the question is, there's a threat that has some sort of tie to Alan's life um, and it's teased in the series so far. Can you kind of tell us anything about this person and their issues with Alan? Yeah, the re the reason I talk about it is because we've you know we've talked about it in the press so much from yeah. the very beginning and and uh, you know the 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 big bad the big villain in this story is a character who should have we should have always known he is Alan Scott's arch nemesis the Golden Age Red Lantern uh, with no connection to the Red Lantern core that that we all know. Um, just as Alan doesn't really have a connection to the Green Lantern Corps, certainly not at this point in his story. Um, but it, he is, you know, he was introduced by Jeff Johns in a who's who uh, page that was in the back of the New Golden Age number one. A beautiful, beautiful page that gave you some of uh, his story. His name is Vladimir Sokov. He is the Soviet answer to the Green Lantern. He is the Red Lantern. And his powers are very similar to uh to the green lantern's powers and um and his connection he's connected to something called the crimson flame which is introduced in issue one it was also introduced in our six page on-ramp story that we did in dc pride through the years back in in june um and so we're having a lot of fun you know exploring what that means here's here's the basics of what that what, why we should have known who he is it's because he was removed from the timeline it's such a great Jeff John sort of idea, right? He was he was this character who sh was all, who existed in Alan Scott's life in the Green Lantern's life, but forces outside of time pulled him out of the timeline. So the story we have seen for the last eighty years of Alan Scott is kind of a I hate to say retcon, but it's a you know the the conceit of this is that we saw a a version we've seen a version of his story that's incomplete. And so now we're, he's been restored to the timeline. So we're getting to see the, what, how Alan's life would play out if the Red Lantern had been there all the time. Um, that's the, the fun sci-fi 
of this story. And it, it affords us the opportunity to sort of make some adjustments and some, some, some give some new shading to some of the story, some of the classic, you know, story uh, of his origin, of Alan's origin of his early years. You know, it's, it's so important to me to not be reinventing the wheel. I didn't come into this with any ideas on retconning and changing the past, changing history. What the, the sort of uh, uh, touchstone for us has been adding layers. Let's add more layers. Just the, the, like the layer of the Red Lantern being added into his story, just like the layer of knowing that he was a closeted gay man is adding to his story. So we're getting to see some new information, some more information. The Golden Age books, when you go back and read them, and by the way, let me say, before you read issue two, out November 28th, <laughs> you, you should do yourself a favor and read Alan's first issue ever from 1940, All American Comics number 16, which happily DC reprinted in a facsimile edition that's on shelves and came out the same day as our issue one came out. Um, it's so valuable and so such good context because we, in issue two, we really, um, uh, we, you know, it, it, the issue is called, it's a very provocative title. It's called Conversion. And you saw at the end of issue one that that is going to have, you know, different meanings. Um, that story takes place in and around Alan's origin to become the Green Lantern, his conversion into the superhero that he's going to be. But there's also another context to that when we find Alan in Arkham Asylum in, in the beginning of that story. Um, and so, so when you, but when you go back and you read that issue and when you read all golden age issues of the JSA or Alan Scott, you know, look, they're not, they're not deep. There's not there. We don't get a lot of layers on characters and even stories can feel like we're kind of repeating the same kind of story with the same kind of villain a lot. They're incredibly fun and they were so fun for kids to read at that time. Um, and one of the great joys of doing this is that we get to go back and not change it, but add those layers in. Well, how would this have played out if we're looking through the lens of how we make comics today? What would that story look like? That's, that's what this book is at its core. Man, that's, yeah, that's, there's some moments, uh, and there are some moments that, uh, in, in issue two that I feel like I cannot wait for, for people to check out because yeah, they had a, as Janelle kind of alluded to, they had a profound, uh, effect on, on me. Uh, can I so, say, yeah. can, can I say it, it is, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of darkness in issue one. You, you see, there's some, there's, there's some great light moments too, but there are some, there's a lot of darkness. Issue two, we definitely double down. There's a lot of darkness in issue two. And, you know, Janelle, for you, who's you're new to Green Lantern, you know, it, it, this is for a reason. This is because to tell this story, it was so important, I think, to start in the darkness, because what we're doing is we're telling a story about a man coming out of the darkness into the light and then becoming a beacon of that light for the whole world. And so that's the structure. So you're gonna see, there's some heavy stuff in, in issue two, um, but it's all part of, you know, a necessary part of the story. And, uh, and, and hopefully it'll, it'll help bring us to, to, uh, to, 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 a, to a golden age Green Lantern that, that we recognize and that, we, that, we, that we've always loved. Janelle, you think you can close this out? Yeah, uh, well, 
I mean, I have to ask about movies. That's kind of why I was brought on. I'm, I love, I love seeing these characters on the big screen too. Um, and I'm curious, what do you think? Uh, well, if we do, if we do get to see Alan on the big screen, which would be so sick, uh, mm -hmm. what, what do you think needs to be brought to this character to kind of express the way that he is and the uniqueness of his space and also do you have any suggestions for castings <laughs> I, I do i do um it's a little obvious especially when i tell Love you where, where yeah especially when i tell you where it comes from there is a show and i have nothing to do with the show by the way i'm not getting any kickback for plugging this show <laughs> but, they, but they, there is a show that's on right now on showtime Mm -hmm. It's on Paramount Plus. Um, called, fel called fellow traveler, uh, fellow travelers, and it is. I didn't know this story. This was coming out. It's based on a book that I had never read. I didn't know this was happening, and somebody pointed me to this show, and it's sent essentially happening now it, at the same time that our Alan Scott book is coming out. It and is. It, it's so thematically similar to what we're exploring. It, it even is, it's set about 10 years ahead of where we are in the Alan Scott story, but it's very much that same period of time. And, uh, and so, so it's, it's, re it's re a remarkably good show. Let me just say, I, it's so worth your time. Watch it, please. Especially because it's going to give you a lot of emotional context for what is happening in the Alan Scott book. Um, and to that end, uh, uh, my friend, uh, who uh, I, you know, I can't believe I get to say this. Who 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 moderated my uh, panel for uh, Fandom when we released my uh, Man of Tomorrow movie, uh, Matt Bomer. Uh, I just I think you know, you know I know he's connected to Doom Patrol, but man, put put him on the big screen. Let me have that guy, especially after you see him in Fellow Travelers. He's doing the best work of his career right now. And it yes. made me sit up and take notice and say, that's a guy that I want to see play Alan Scott. Oh my that's God. Perfect. And if not Alan Scott, maybe Vladimir Sokov, the Red Lantern. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> after after watching him in white collar, he can do anything, right? He can <laughs> do anything. And what an amazing, yeah. amazing, yeah. sweet human being, too. Like so that's that's where I'd go. Oh. It's good to know you guys are friends. I was I was so scared to bring up fellow travelers because when I started reading this, I was like, was this planned? Like there are no. panels. <laughs> we're not. By the way, we're not friends. We're I, I, I stay my friend because it's okay, Hollywood. Yeah. He literally moderated my panel. Like we don't hang out. I've never really met him outside of that. So, um, but yeah, hey, no, I, I, was, yeah. I just did an hour long interview with uh, Adi Shankar. I met moderating a panel like those are ah. moderator panel. Oh, you know, person. That's a good bond. I couldn't believe it. I was so excited to, to get to meet him. He's a, a sweet man. That's a good suggestion. Oh, amazing pick. Well, um, I, I know we got to let you go, but I, I I really enjoy this book. I cannot wait for people to to read issue two. Um, yes. It's it's fantastic. Uh, you can, as um, he mentioned, uh, Alan Scott, the Greenlander number one, as well as DC's Pride uh, Through the Years, which has a short story as a prologue. Both are in comic stores now. Uh, and then issue two, of the Green Lantern hits on November 28th. Uh, Tim, thank you so much for, for jumping on. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. This is so much fun, you guys. Thank you, Wonderful. Tim. Wonderful. Awesome. Thank you so much. Man, that was cool. I love talking to yeah. Green Lantern. He's oh, so great. Yeah, this book in, yeah. Uh, guys, you know, I, I 
was trying to keep out spoilers, but yeah, you guys got to read issue two. It is uh, yeah. right there with like I HBO. almost spoiled. Yeah. Yeah. When he spoiled the villain, I was like, okay, thank God. Because <laughs> <laughs> we don't even know after two. So it's, yeah, it's exciting. Yeah. All right. So let's get back in our regularly scheduled show. That was our interview with Tim Sheridan. And uh, yeah, pick up Alan Scott, the Green Lantern. And yeah, Matthew Bomer. I, I didn't want to say anything about fellow Travers. So I was like, do they know that that's also out here? But uh, yeah, it's good that there's some good synergy. Happening. Great. Uh, yeah, I was going to say great Paramount Plus synergy. <laughs> we fire on all cylinders. We do it all. Geek culture and the corporation, baby. Uh, let's get into news. Before we take a break, let's get into some big news that we got to talk about. Janelle, why don't you tell us? Yeah. There are things going on on the Marvel side right Crazy. now. Uh, it's been a weird week, guys. Obviously. I know. Flute album and... Marvel's made some equally interesting casting choices. So let's go crazy. Uh, I'm I'm excited and I, I don't know. I'm a little uh, I'm a little timidly excited about the latest casting that was announced. And Kofi, you wrote an incredible article that did so much great explaining on this. So I'm just going to kind of announce it. Um, Pedro Pascal has been cast as Reed Richards in Marvel's Fantastic Four, the reboot. Um, when this hit, I was actually live streaming and I gave some very colorful opinions on this. Um, <laughs> I, I And I listen, I know this isn't the Janelle show. I'm not going to give my rundown, but if you guys want to ask what each of us think about it, feel free anytime. Um, this is, I'm not mad at this. I, I just didn't see it happening. And I think a lot of other people were a little kind of like, oh, okay. Um, a, a, you know, maybe there, it's just, for me, it was predictable, but we'll see. Um, with this, there was also an announcement, or not an announcement, a leak. There was a leak about one of my favorite actors, Stephen Yin, who uh, you may recognize from The Walking Dead. He was in a show called, on Netflix called Beef. He is our hero in Invincible, and he worked very closely, ob obviously, with Robert Kirkman and their buddies. Um, Robert went on a podcast <laughs> and definitely <laughs> just... Robert what? Yeah. Good job, Robert. He definitely just like flat out said that Stephen Yen is Sentry um, in, in Thunderbolts, which is rumored. We all thought that that was probably what it was going to be. But Stephen Yen himself was so tight lipped about it. He was so good about not spoiling this. Um, and then, you know, Kirkman's like, I don't care. I don't work with Marvel. <laughs> so I thought that was really interesting. Um, if you are a fan and you're really happy about this casting like myself, it's just, you know, confirmation and it makes you really excited. But it does bring us to the next kind of um, piece of information that I am really interested in hearing Kofi chat about because with this casting, especially of Pedro um, in, in Fantastic Four's Reed Richards, there's been a lot of speculation and things going on. And, and this ties directly to our Kang casting and Jonathan Majors. There's been a lot of backlash and things going on with that. And Kofi, you broke it down so well. I have to give it to you here. You got to explain to us how this is going to affect that, like what this could possibly mean. Um, sure. So if you guys don't know, like this is, you know, this is my, this is my main wifey, but I have like a little side chick podcast called Podcast <laughs> X I cook with my former buddies from Screen Rant, which is now 20 years old, which is wild to think it makes me feel old, but we were kind of cooking and we were just kind of talking and I kind of stumbled on to this idea that kind of cracked in my head and I wrote it up for comic book and you guys are reading it. I can see right now and it's doing all right, so we're going to go with it. So it's not the craziest thing I've ever come up with as a theory. But 
I was just basically kind of wondering because people were doing like, why Pedro? Like, we know we said he's father, but this is taking it a little far, guys. Like, he's already doing Mandalorian. He's already doing Last of Us. Like, and so I started thinking, like, why would you cast Pedro Pascal? And I started going into how, oh, you know, like, I would like for me, I said it hinges on if we get the maker or not. Like, I would yeah. love to see Pedro Pascal do both Reed Richards and the maker and how crazy he would be doing both. And then I started to go from there. I was like, well, why stop there? Like, what else could you do with Pedro Pascal or somebody of that level? And I was like, oh, my God. And then it kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. I remembered, like, the Council of Reeds is out there. You know, the Maker helps through universes doing stuff. And it was like Secret Wars. Like, this all makes sense if you want to get out of this Jonathan Majors thing. Doom is kind of like a weird person to try to shuffle in there. But Reed Richards actually works. Reed Richards is tied to Kang. He's a descendant. Kang is a descendant of Reed Richards. There's this Council of Reeds. There's the Maker and the Council of Reeds. Whole job was protecting the multiverse. They were basically like the TVA, except Reed Richards is an egomaniac. And so they had him do it. And the whole difference that you can tie into a Fantastic Four film is the Reed Richards from the main universe doesn't join them because the whole thing is they are Reed Richards that don't have family ties. He is a Reed Richards that does kind of love his family. This both could help us fix Reed Richards of the MCU, which is another oh, part man. of it article yeah reed richards and for all of marvel which is something i'm gonna write when i he's get the out the worst because he's a worst, right like yeah but you can actually make an mcu reed richards who is the opposite who actually the whole crux is he does care about his family but if you do something in Mar and i've been saying marvel needs to get mcu needs to get dangerous again and it's just like something shocking would be like for all the expectations fans had is just at the end of fantastic four or something post like there is a council of reeds we find out and they come and they just annihilate Kang and they just wipe him out and be like, you really thought you were like in charge, huh? Oh, that's funny. Mm -hmm. And then it becomes about Reed Richards, right? And then we can take on the worst and the best of Reed Richards. Secret Wars then begins. You can even put Doom back in there and because people love Hickman's Secret Wars because at the end of the day, it was for all this grand stuff, it is a Doom and yeah. Reed Richards story mm -hmm. and about why they are similar, why they are different and some surprising things about both of them. Doom is and, super petty. Yeah. <laughs> a dude has a heart. Like you find out like Doom's yeah. more complicated. Reed also like kind of an asshole and can really ruin things. Yeah. And so you can flip that around in a much more simplistic way and, and do, you know, Reed Richards as kind of supplant Kang as the person and still do secret wars, put in doom you know, then Doom, you can even do it more traditionally and faithful adaptation of the Hickman version where like maybe Reed writes things and Doom is the person who just holds some of it together like Loki style or however you want to play with that. But in Reed Richards, we have an easy kind of surprising twist way to knock out a villain and replace him with a more complicated situation. Right. And yeah. I think they would be smart to do that. And I think Pedro Pascal is an actor that, yeah, you, you can he's a good enough and big enough actor that you can now hang your franchise on him instead of Jonathan majors. I, I dig that because honestly, all the reaction I've seen from the, the big report about this has been surface level. It's, Oh, we got Pedro Pascal because he's a big name right now. He's one of the most likable actors working in Hollywood right now. The camera is veering off and I don't know why for me. I, it was like, why would you cast him specifically for, a comics character who, if you actually read the comics, is one of the most unlikable heroes we've got going. Now, some authors have taken this in different ways. Sometimes it's he's literally on the spectrum and says as much, and that's why he struggles with emotional connections. 
Other times it's, oh, he's just so smart that he doesn't care about emotional stuff, which is why he constantly neglects his wife and why she's constantly getting hounded by either her ex or Neymar. This actually makes quite a bit more sense because when I saw the casting, I thought, okay, they're going to do one of two things. They are either trying to fit a square peg into a round hole and just taking a, the biggest name they could possibly get and try to say, okay, now try to be unlikable, even though that's completely against your strength as an actor. Or they were trying to rework the character a la Tony Stark with Robert Downey Jr., where we just say, okay, here's the actor. He's going to do his thing. We will make the comics reflect that because read Iron Man pre-Robert Downey Jr. and post, you go, hey, why did all of this change? Oh, it's because the movie came out. So I think your take on this is a hell of a lot more interesting than just, hey, he's a name, and you're all going to have weird feelings about him by the end of that first movie. Yeah, no, I think I think they're going to redo Reed Richards completely. Like, I think you kind of have to. day and age, I think you got to go with somebody who's kind of on the spectrum but wants to make connection. And I think that'll be the key. If they're smart, it's about... And I wrote a whole piece a long time ago about how to do this. And I don't think it's even off the table. I think it's more on the table now. But I thought it would be interesting to do a Fantastic Four movie where, because of the multiverse, they're not together in this universe. Mm -hmm. But somebody comes and says, you guys got to get together. And then it becomes a movie about people trying to form connections. They're told they have to. But can you? is that naturally ingrained? Family, things like that. Do you guys have those bonds? Is that some larger thing or is it just circumstantial? You know what I mean? And the, and the maker is there's no greater proof that Reed is not just complicated, but can be a downright bastard than taking the character and saying, okay, what happens if Sue said no, when he proposed, the answer is super villain. Exactly. And so there's, there's all, I mean, it's very Rick and Morty ish, but you know, there is a way to spin this. And I think Marvel would be smart because this is probably the easiest way and you can surprise the audience, which I think is key. Like kind of keeping, we know they're quietly pruning all the Kang stuff, like all the director and writer of the movie. So like a shock twist is something Marvel. Marvel Comics does well, where you think you know the villain and you think you know what's happening and then something else slides in. And, like, yeah. and I think the MCU could use a shot like that. It's funny that Pedro is, because I know, you know, he's incredibly well-liked. And um, he's been, you know, fantastic in pretty much everything he's been in. But um, it's when Krasinski was always tied to this part in the past and fan castings and everything. I remember we came on the show and we would talk about it. And it was like, I I think he's too likable an actor for someone who's trash (laughs) in the comics. He's trash. Because how because with Krasinski, it was we know he can play a bastard because you watch those later seasons of The Office and Jim Halpert becomes exactly that. It's not just likability with Pedro Pascal. Pedro's at his best when they're when he's expressing bleeding heart emotion. The most memorable scene in Mandalorian is when he takes off the helmet and there's a tear coming down his face. The best stuff in The Last of Us is the fact that this is a guy just trying to pick up the pieces of his broken life and continue a surrogate father right relationship he has he's very good at the gray way back in game of thrones the most memorable scene he has is when he's screaming at the mountain to confess what he had done like his whole thing is emotion reed richard is not that but that's the point is that's the point that's what the character needs it's the same reason that beast has become a trash character in the comics The, the the decisions that they make are continually self um self like they're they're self-propelling they're 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 motivated by 
a very like closed off mentality and selfishness as to the way things should be and things. And so well, to in both of those characters, you need yeah. a rework in the MCU. And for pa someone Pascal's level, I think this could very much be a uh, Elizabeth Olsen Wanda situation where oh, the MCU point. character becomes the preeminent version of that character and the comics. Yeah, yeah. that's why it's very Yeah, coming. we're going in circles, but we got to move on. But um, yeah, like I think you guys are, are I mean, I think that's going to be it. And I think if you've watched enough people know Pedro from these famous things, but he's been a working character actor for a long time. Right. And if you see him like in the unbearable or the massive weight of unbearable or the unbearable weight of massive talent with Nick Cage and things, he plays zany characters yeah. a lot. He's even played on occasion characters who would start out like villainous characters who start out seeming okay, but then they turn out to be nuts. Mm. So like, I think he's going to play this from a lot of sides, like, and, and kind of do it. I think we're going to get a, I think part of this whole story will be hinge on how Sue Storm comes to like or love this man. I don't think it's going to be established. I think seeing him, be kind of closed off but then these little hints that he has a heart and that he could raise a family that he could be a good father like all of those things will be the heart of this film that make us kind of open up and i think while they say it hinges on sue i think like reed will be kind of the focal subject point of it but um all right uh real quick before we take a break how did you guys feel about some of the other fantastic four rumored casting which includes sue storm being vanessa kirby joe quinn as human torch cousin Eben Moss, Bacharach from The Bear as The Thing, and uh, Javier Bardem as Galactus. And also, how do you guys feel about Stephen Young playing Century? Because that is a choice and a change. And it's also, I feel like Marvel, you know, you couldn't leave Invincible alone, Marvel. You just couldn't let that, couldn't let that rock. <laughs> I know somewhere Jim's celebrating because he loves Century. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's a good, I think that's a good casting. I mean, I feel like the only stuff that I've, that has really ever grabbed me about that character is, his run in new Avengers and Bendis and things like that. So, I mean, if Yun is the care is a, is an actor that can, can capture that. Um, Bardem as Galactus is actually like, to me, perfect. <laughs> That's perfect. casting. That voice. I can absolutely hear it coming out of my Marvel legends figure. Like that thing is, that's great. And I think Joe Quinn, I know. Remember when this casting first got rumored, there was a lot of like, not pushback, but a lot of, huh? There's a lot of kind of shrugs and stuff when, when this came out and I, I mean, yes, I loved him in Stranger Things, but that I, I think some of those elements that he was in that show can very much carry over to Johnny. And I think he I think he can be a great Johnny. It also all the casting shows we're going older with Fantastic Four. We're not going fan four stick where this is Fantastic Four babies. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm good with that. Yeah. I can't wait to see how this movie develops. I can't see. I can't wait to see what Matt Shackman, who um, our friend Evan Valentine just recently had a good interview with and kind of he got some good information pried out of him about the way he's kind of treating us so i'm really interested now in this film so let's take a quick break and when we come back we got to talk about the new movies and the new tv shows that are premiering this week and we're bringing in one of our favorites oh yeah guests turn up so stay tuned for that we'll be right back It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
Got your happy price, price line. Welcome back to Comic Book Nation, the only show that does it all for geek culture and the podcast of comicbook.com officially. Said that backwards. All right, we are back. We just had a wonderful interview with DC's Alan Scott, the Green Lantern writer, Tim Sheridan, and we just talked about the crazy castings in the MCU we just got. You know, those castings were told to me while my mom was in the Amazon. Did you guys know that? Did you guys know that? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Were you researching Uh, spiders and died? I was researching spiders in the Amazon when I found found out about all that MCU casting. But uh, yeah, Madam Web had a trailer. It has people in it. Go watch that. Um, We are going to move on to what's new (laughs) this week. Um, I liked that trailer. Oh, gosh. (laughs) (laughs) I was the biggest, like, stand... Even Madam Web, I thought it could be really good, like a Back to the Future. Same. Now it's just like that Ben Affleck movie, Paycheck or something. Like I don't know, man. It's it's bad. But let's talk about TV and movies this week. We got some uh, big new movie theatrical openings, and uh, to do the first one, we're bringing back one of our special favorite <gasps> guests. He's been busy creating new life. He's a dad now, and so he's been out for a long time. But here he is with us again today. We've missed him. It's Mr. Turnup. Charlie Ridgely is with us. Hello. Speaking of new life, someone woke up early from their nap. So I have to keep it brief because I have, you know, I have. Uh, This is Hank. We know how this goes. We know how it goes. So, uh, Hank, cover your ears. Charlie, you yeah. have to tell us about, appropriately <laughs> enough, the new horror movie, Eli Roth, Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Yeah. Which uh, I hope you didn't bring a baby to that, like some people. I, I certainly did not. Um, but I have been in horror movies when there's been like a baby in there, and it's one of the weirdest experiences. Why? Like, I yeah. get babies because they don't get babysitters or something. And you yeah, don't have child care. Child care is terrible. But yeah, really. Like, that's another, that's a whole It's a whole stuff. thing. Like, it's, and it, it's happened like multiple times. Um, yeah, no, it's crazy. So uh, Thanksgiving, if you're not familiar, was a was a fake movie trailer. Back in what 2007, Kofi the Grindhouse. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so 16 years ago, the they made fake trailers for this double feature that played in between Planet Terror and um, Death um, Proof. On, yeah, Death Proof. I almost said Death Race, and that's that's the Jason Statham thing. Um, but it played between them, and it was this like Grindhouse, like ultra exploitative. Ultra like violent, crazy, gnarly movie called Thanksgiving, where a slasher like killer was loose in Plymouth, Massachusetts on Thanksgiving. Um, and if you watch that trailer, you know it is it's hard to imagine a modern movie, like a movie now being successful with those elements, you know, like being exploitative and being slashery, grindhousey in that way. Uh, and this is not that, but it is one of the most fun times I've had in the movie theater so far this year. Um, I'm not saying it's one of the best movies of 2023, but I think it is very, very good. It is an effective, fun, campy, super, super gory slasher that is like meant to please crowds. Uh, you know, I've seen it once by myself for a screening. I saw it once with people and the people screening was awesome because there were people yelling at like, you know, at certain moments and you had a lot of like covering your eyes, covering your mouth, but like peeking through because it was just, you couldn't look away, but you wanted to. Uh, it is. It, it's not like a. Uh, it's not quite as good as less, like maybe a scream, but it's definitely in that vein where it is. It wants to have fun as much as it wants to be a slasher and be scary. Uh, it is very focused on making sure you have a great time. Uh, which, if I don't know if anyone's a fan of Eli Roth, I've not been a huge fan of his in the past. 
you know, the hostile stuff is too much for me. It's just yeah. torture and the gore. Uh, this is way more focused on being an efficient slasher and being fun. Uh, but the gore is still there. So it's a, he, he's kind of evolved and found this really nice balance of a movie that works incredibly well. And again, it's not as good as Scream, but it reminds me of that more than it reminds me of, of other movies. And that's, I mean, as much as I love Scream, that's one of the highest compliments I can, I can pay a slasher movie is being reminiscent of something like Scream. Um, I don't know if anyone has any questions about this movie that I can answer as part of this review. Good. Just one. Is there a killer turkey anywhere in there? Because I was promised that years ago. Uh, no, well, remember that the trailer is not a killer turkey, but a person in a turkey suit gets oh. absolutely destroyed. Uh, yes, does happen in the movie. Okay, um, those who have seen the trailer, I won't get into it, but the trampoline scene is in the movie. Um, oh. it not, it's not as gnarly as it was in the trailer. Um, it's not as it's not as gross. Okay, as the trailer. Um, but it's it's in there. I think Josh. Um, All right, I have uh, one last question mm-hmm. before we let you go, Charlie. Um, this is now what the third fake trailer movie we've gotten. We got Machete. We got two of those. We got Hobo with a Shotgun. Yeah, yeah. I have no one seen that. Um, is did we get another one or is that it? Those are the only ones, right? No, because yeah. because the the other one, um, there was one. Uh, Don't was wasn't made into a movie. No, and um, the Werewolf Women of the SS was not. It's not a movie. That Could was be. the Rob Zombie one. Yeah. Um, um, but okay. So, how does this? Have you seen the other two? And how does this rank? If you have, well, it's hard because Machete is its own thing. Like, I can't. I'm not gonna be like this is better than Machete because like Machete just isn't one movie. It's I mean, he was in Spy Kids. Like, it was a whole Robert Rodriguez <laughs> thing. Wasn't Spy Kids. Uh, and I'm not gonna. I'm never gonna soil the name of Danny Trejo. Uh, <laughs> but I had more fun watching this than I did Machete. Like, this was more my speed personally. Um, and I liked Hobo with a Shotgun a lot too, but again, this Hobo with a Shotgun really went for that grindhouse feel. Uh, this doesn't abandon it, but it, it, it's a it's a more modernized version of it. It's a it's a movie that really works now, but also satisfies people who liked the grindhouse. I know it was so good, and it it really satisfies people that like the grindhouse stuff. Uh, it, it doesn't. There are definitely times when you watch this and you're like. He had to pull that back, or they would have probably like they were probably pushing NC seventeen at a couple of points that they like had to rein it in in order to make it in theaters. It's as R rated as it could be, um, but like the characters are all like they all make sense, and they're not just like these random cutout like, cardboard cutout people that you stick in a slasher movie. And a lot of them are teenagers. Like they they're either funny or like you get why they're doing what they're doing. Um, you know, the kind of three lead teens. Uh, it's kind of a love triangle situation, and they all make sense and they're interesting characters and I, I want to see more of them. Uh, Patrick Dempsey is awesome. He has a full Boston accent. Uh, one t- He's talking to one guy and he calls someone a gooba and it's amazing. Uh, okay. It's the best part of the movie. Um, and Final it's, it's really campy. Uh, there's a big inflatable turkey in the finale. Someone, the killer yells, there will be no leftovers like they do in the trailer. It's It is a great time. All right. I cannot I cannot recommend it enough. If you're into slasher movies, it is a lot of fun. If you're not into slasher movies, this is this is probably not for you. It is as slashery as you can you can get. All right. Hank's telling you to wrap it up, buddy. <laughs> yep. Someone needs us some lunch, huh? All right. Lunch, yeah. This is anyway, uh, bye. You say bye to everybody. Bye. Bye. This is Eli Ross Thanksgiving. I think Charlie's review <laughs> is up on comicbook.com. I think you can read it there. 
So go check that out. And uh, yeah, we just wanted to make sure you guys had a recommendation for Thanksgiving. If you're tired of your family, this could be a place to go. <laughs> uh, your other option I will talk about, which is the Hunger Games, the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. So this is the Hunger Games prequel that was turned into a novel by uh, series creator Suzanne Collins and director Francis Lawrence of the Hunger Games Catching Fire and the two Mockingjay movies is back. And this is a prequel about a young Coriolanus Snow and when he gets his first job to mentor in the Hunger Games as part of his assignment at the university. And it's a very complicated tale. I mean, we went back into the two, I mean, in the 2000s, we have this wave, right, of movies that tried to like Hannibal Rising, Exorcist, the beginning, like we were obsessed with trying to humanize villains and explain them and turn them into tragic anti-heroes of circumstance. And so there was a lot of concern when this movie and the book were brought up that it would be something similar like that. Like, we don't need, especially these days, to go on a whole thing of understanding a cold dictator like President Snow, who does all the atrocities that we see in The Hunger Games. Well, this movie walks a tightrope and it does it for two hours and 27 minutes. And it I know the critic stuff is split, but I don't agree with them. I agree more with the audience score which is up there, and I agree with it. This is a whole-ass novel, this movie. This is the most fateful novel adaptation I've seen in a long time. It's complex, it's nuanced, and in the third act, it is not a third act battle. It The third act is a novel, kind of complex, emotional, mental climax to this. And by God, I'm gonna say they, they pull it off. They, they thread the needle. This movie, and it's largely because of the cast and the two leads. Rachel Ziegler is a Ziegler is a star. Like I'm gonna put that out there. This girl is a star. There's a reason why Steven Spielberg had the good sense to pick her out of like 35,000 people for West Side Story. She kills it in this movie, and like if she wasn't a star enough before, Shari Shazam too. She is now. Um, yeah, she nails it as Lucy Graybeard. But Tom Blythe, uh, who plays Coriolanus Snow, and, I mean this guy really just nails this whole arc of getting to see how this guy could have had one kind of life path, could have been one kind of person. But as the movie and thematically does so well, the story, it's almost Attack on Titan Nation kind of forcing us to look at, you know, the fact that we are who we are. And very often we, we put on these masks and facades about who we are, but through certain circumstances and especially, you know, life and death and and survival and things like that we find out who we really are and that's what this movie is and i don't want to get into spoilers because the structure as i've teased all along is very different than you might think um where the hunger games fits in and what happens before and after that are very very crucial in this movie but it does a good job of making you see the tragedy in snow's choice not sympathize with who he becomes but see the tragedy on how we are kind of almost trapped in who we are, the legacy of where we come from, our circumstances and who we are. And though we all have these flights of fancy that we're going to become certain kinds of people, you know, eventually life in the world reveals, you know, makes us who we were going to be all along, really. Hmm. Um, and if you're middle aged like me now, that's uh, that's a really impactful thing because this is about the age where your dreams of like all those fancy things you're going to do in life become like real solidified into what you're actually capable of and you begin to realize all the connections you're like oh yeah i'm way more like my parents or like things i thought than i thought i was 
um, at a younger age. But um, it nails it for telling a more complex Hunger Games story for an older audience so that the people who grew up with these books, the YA audience back then, they're older now. Right. And so this movie addresses that and appeal. And I think it appeals to people who read those books as younger people, but now can see this movie as older people. And I think it does a good job with that. So it was a risky bet, but I feel like it it nails it, it and it makes you want to see more of the world of Pan Am in general, like the Hunger Games universe. The whole set design of an earlier era of Pan Am is fascinating. The ideas of what they're doing for Hunger Games is fascinating. And this movie has an awesome supporting cast that choose scenery in the best way. Jason Schwartzman as one of the uh, earlier Flickermans. Um, Viola Davis is crazy. And this is like her craziest role, I think, ever. She got that EGOT. You can't tell her nothing. No, she is just having fun at this point. And Peter Dinklage, who makes like a real kind of serious arc to this, sub-arc to this. And so, well done. I want to see more Hunger Games. I would play in this universe at different points because this makes it much more fascinating and it shows we can do this on a more mature level. So, um, if you're talking about recommendations for this holiday season and Thanksgiving, I would say, yeah, go out and see this. This is a this is a good one to check out. Um, real quick on the TV side, guys, uh, did anybody watch Monarch? Legacy uh, of Monsters? The trailer? No, the actual oh. show. I watched the trailer. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm interested. I am. Yeah. Good job, you know, everybody. All right. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I I don't think they've actually done a, because I have, but I don't think they've done a great job of like of advertising where no. the show mm-hmm. is. <laughs> yeah. Like I saw how many trailers and things and I could not have told you it was on Apple TV plus or whatever. Like, no, and that was coming out today. Yeah, it's been right. kind of muted. No joke, no pun intended. Muto, get it. Anyway, so yeah, and I watched the first episode. Listen, it's a show and it has people in it. It's overly <laughs> complicated. It, it, it's overly complicated and it hops around time periods with multiple actors playing the same role. Like there's John Goodman, then there's young John Goodman, who's Anders from Workaholics. And like, it's going through these different time periods. It goes from like the 2020s to back to when Godzilla happened in like 20, the mid 2010s to back to the 1970s in Skull Island to back to 1959 before John Goodman ever got to Skull Island. It's all over the place. And so it, it's just in the first episode, it's all stage setting with human characters in different places on different time periods and no reason why the hell you should care. Mm. Like, and that's where I'm at. I'm going to watch episode two and see. And after that, I I may or may not continue with this because it's got great production values. Everything on Apple does. It looks Mm -hmm. great. It looks cinematic. There's a scene in the beginning. That's a recut of Skull Island that looks right out of Eeyore, if not better than Skull Island. But there's no reason this monster verse has not made me want to care about all about Monarch or its human characters or their drama across decades. Like, who the hell cares? That's why we have a Godzilla vs. Kong movie now. So I don't know who this is for yet, but it wasn't for me. Uh, neither was this other thing on our list, which was uh, Scott Pilgrim Takes Off. This is a difficult one to talk about. Uh, I'm just going to say really quick, like, Scott Pilgrim was never my favorite. I never liked the comics. I never liked mm. the Edgar Wright movie. I respected the Edgar Wright movie for what how well made it was. But like, yeah, I, this is not my world. And frankly, I just think there's some things that are 
everybody's allowed to have their things. And I think there are some things that are made that are just not necessarily for people of color. And this is one of them. Like, this just doesn't ever appeal to me. I'm sorry. Emo Canadian teens having relationship drama was just never on my radar. So to everybody who loves Scott Pilgrim, good you luck with like this. me, Kofi. <laughs> um, I just don't. I, I'm usually paid not to express any kind of saying I don't like something. But they did I, use the Mortal Kombat soundtrack, though, uh, which was interesting to me in the I mean, trailer. I mean, yeah, this Scott Pilgrim is just a hodgepodge of references like in Got a lot you. of ways. But this show definitely does something. It's getting controversy because it does something very different. It's a reimagining of Scott Pilgrim with a very almost like multiverses multiverse-ish turn on what you think the story is. And so at the end of the first episode, a lot of fans are getting kind of shocked by what they thought they were getting into and what they're really getting into. And all I'll say is it's a lot more He-Man than you think. Mm. All right. So strap in for that. Connor. So I'll just say this. I have not watched the show, but I do get, I do know the twist because I, I looked it up. Uh, I'm actually all for this because I really enjoyed the movie. And as the comic came out, the movie actually had to have a different ending because the comic hadn't fully wrapped yet by the time they started production. So there's always been a lot of discussion about the movie versus the comic and then how it was kind of absorbed by pop culture, where it seems like people kind of missed the point about Scott in that he's not a good guy. And it feels like too many people looked at that performance and said, no, that's what I should be. And I feel like this show wants to address that. And I'm good with that. Because that some things about that need to be addressed. Yeah, if you're talking about basement dwellings, Scott sucks. That's basement the point. Basement dwelling bo boy men who are not appealing. You can blame this in part for. Wow, man, it's funny. I uh, I also I'm with Connor. I know the twist, um, but I have not watched the the show yet. I I really enjoyed the original books, the comics. I enjoyed them. Um, I wasn't as like high on the movie as everyone else. <laughs> Was <laughs> there's really cool parts to it, but like, I'm I'm just it's one of those that are like I love the the comics and I, I was kind of like cool to go back to those. I also love the video game and I love that this takes the animation style straight from that. Uh, it's it's awesome. It's gorgeous. I love the look. Uh, I will be interested to see if with that twist it can maintain my attention as we move forward. So I'll I'll reserve that for later. Judge All me. right. All right, and that takes us to Invincible and the latest episode of Invincible, which I'm not going to get into because we did a whole recap episode. So we're talking yeah. last night right with the episodes. We are dropping Invincible recap episodes. Uh, obviously, last night had a lot packed into it. A little bit. Um, a little bit, a lot packed into it. There were some major turns and a major cliffhanger ending. And uh, I'll just say, me as we teased on the recap episode, We've seen four. Me and Matt have seen the next episode. And guys, you want to be here for this Invincible recap next week. We are going to cook and we have so much to talk about. And if you think you know where this is all headed, you do not. So Invincible recaps also on our feed. Subscribe to our Comic Book Nation uh, podcast on podcast feed on your podcast platforms. We're on Spotify and Apple. And subscribe to both our YouTube page and the main comic book because... Uh, Comic book has uh, claimed us as its bastard child, and now <laughs> on the comic book YouTube thing, they were like, "You guys are kind of cooking out here. Hmm. Come on over here." 
So we are on the comic book main page. If you're watching this on a live stream on YouTube and it's not on the comic book nation page because yeah, we're on the comic book page now. So our invincible recap episode is on the main comic book YouTube channel. So be sure to check those out because this show is cooking. How much they pack into an episode as the person who's writing the recaps is insane. All right. So moving right along. Oh, Matt and Connor. I know you guys are excited. The rest of this show is you guys just cooking, cooking, cooking. So go for it. All right. We got AW full gear. <laughs> this weekend oh uh, it's been a minute and that's how you have to introduce it by the way that from now on that's how it is uh we haven't talked to aw on here in a minute and i it's funny uh kofi mentioned the channel and one of the i think last aw videos we did was actually asking is mjf being champion like the good step and i feel like looking back it was i don't know i feel like it's safe to say, <laughs> say it was um i feel like mjf has been aces for AEW has been one of the best, if not the best part of the company for the last couple months. So, you know, he's got a match here um, against Jay White. Who is the person that eventually takes the title from him, Connor? Is it Jay? Is it someone else? Who do you think is the next person in that legacy? So let, let's address a couple of things. When I gave that take about MJF, uh, this was pre-face turn. So obviously quite a bit has changed <laughs> in the month since then. And I think he has gone from being, okay, this is the thing we have to endure until the end of the year to, no, there's a legitimate argument for him to be wrestler of the year. I, I'm not involved in the Ara Golden Issue poll this year, but I, I definitely hope he at least got some consideration for that. Oh, it's going to shock some people. As far <laughs> as... Who gets the title off of them? One of the things I do love about this story is that there's about five different angles going on at once, and there was never an obvious answer as to who it is. You had Kenny Omega approach me and be like, hey, you're trying to break my record for longest title reign. I'm going to confront you about that. Wardlow is back, and he's like, dude, you ruined my life. I, I've got I've to take it out on you. There's Samoa Joe, who not only you know, came with inches of beating him the first time at Grand Slam, but is like, I'm going to relinquish my television championship. I'm kind of the only friend you have right now. And Max is like, crap, I might have to take you up on that alpha. There's Roddy Strong and doing the best character work of his career as the <laughs> yes, person absolutely. in the world. And there's the devil who is the masked figure that Max used to portray. We've, we've, we've come full circle with comics. This is a red X story. He, someone's taken on his old alter ego and said, yeah, now I'm going to become your problem. There's all the stuff with the acclaimed. And then there's bullet club gold, which went from being a random offshoot of a much more popular group to the more popular version of the group. And that's with, something with JY at the forefront, who by all intents and purposes, was supposed to go at WWE at one point. They said no. AEW picks him up. And at the time, I said, there's a guy who's a mainstay of your main event for the next decade, and I feel like I've been proven right because he has delivered on every front. To answer your question, ultimately, I think it is whoever is in the devil mask. Hmm. Okay. There's some speculation out there that it's a certain Chicago-made punk, which I don't think is actually what's happening. If it is, that is the greatest pull greatest twist that a company has pulled off since Hogan turned and became a member of the NWO that that's how that's how high of a bar we've reached with this okay so I have a question on that 
if because we're gonna get to because because we got two central mysteries. Yeah. One's not like the bigger mystery, but one is the devil mask, the person who's <laughs> going around, which by reports is like multiple people to hide the identity of the one true it's person and all that. Because the report is actually whoever has been in the mask is who it actually is. It's not like they've been a rotating cast with that one. So if that person is punk, I don't think it is, frankly. I, don't, I just don't. But I don't think it let's, is just, let's just go out on a limb and say it's punk. Yeah. Did it start as a work from the very beginning, like from the Jungle Boy moment? Or was it something that they were able to salvage after the fact and turn it into like, what, what's your theory? If it actually is punk, was it a complete work or was it like a half shoot, half work thing? Cause that would be the third time. If so, that they've let him come back in that case. So in order for it to be punk, you would have had to have get every single person in the company, whether they are a wrestler, whether they just work backstage, whether they're an extra and have them all simultaneously agree yeah. to tell one story to everyone, everyone in the public, everyone in the media, everyone on social media, and just say, this is what's happening, but really, this is what's happening. And if you've ever worked in wrestling, you know that is impossible because everyone's out for everyone's got their own motives. So to get hundreds of people to all agree to say one lie is really hard to pull off. Really hard. So I don't think it's him. I think it's Adam Cole. And I think it's the the all the clues have kind of lined up for it to be him. The other three guys that are always working for him, that could be Roddy in the kingdom. Uh, I think it's funny how the one person we know it can't be is Samoa Joe for pretty obvious reasons that the, the devil looks awfully slender. And Joe is many things. Slender has never been one of them. Um, I, I think it's Cole. I, I think it ties back to the story that they've been telling from the beginning. Uh, going all the way up through all in, I think the in, I think the injury. Honestly, they might have had to pivot and go. Okay, we need to keep him off TV, but still relevant in the story. Let's have him wear a mask and just randomly pop up while yeah. he's healing from this Achilles thing. I think it's cold. Uh, I, I like the excitement around Punk, but uh, I just don't think it's, it's too exactly. many moving pieces yeah. for everyone to all agree at once um, to lie. And I at full it. gear, there is Tony Khan. Loves his teases and his announcements. Uh, there is a big signing that they will reveal, sign a contract at full gear. Um, there are two names. There were three. Obviously, Punk's always... A, it, you can't have a discussion anymore and not have <laughs> Punk in the discussion. I don't think it's Punk. Um, the other one was Dolph Ziggler, and then that was squashed because of not-compete clauses and stuff. So the yeah, two the, names the that have been out there, that one doesn't add up or any of the recent releases from WWE. It right, hasn't been. They're, well, they can't even it's it doesn't matter because they're not competes are not up anyway. So they couldn't yeah. sign if they wanted to. Um, so the two that are out there are Ronda Rousey and Will Ospreay. Those are the two that have gained momentum in the two prevailing theories. I will say about it's like, you know what uh 60 40 most people think it's osprey but there is this group that thinks maybe it's rousey who is it who do you think it is so the one name you didn't mention was mercedes monet and a recent well, it's not her well a recent report from fightful was like it is not her even though right. it seems like the wheels are in motion for that partnership to start um I, here's my thing with mercedes she is known to work everybody, so it's entirely possible she's been lying through her teeth, and it is her. 
but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna uh, hold. I'm, I'm always saying it's a possibility. I don't think it's Rhonda, simply because I think Rhonda just wants to keep working. So these little indie shows she's doing now, if she, if that's all she wants to do, then that's fine. But I don't think. I think Tony is setting him. Tony Khan is setting himself up for disappointment and a little bit of backlash if it is her. If it's Osprey, nobody complains because even though he is with New Japan right now, he has made his contract status very well known. His contract is up in, at the start of next year. He is taking all considerable offers. He is talking to WWE. He's even talking to Impact Wrestling, who I don't think has the money to buy him, but. He, the Will Ospreay sweepstakes has been going on since this guy blew up in the early 2010s. And the question was always, which American promotion is going to get their hands on this guy and have him be a pillar of their company for years to come? For a while there, the only option was WWE, and he didn't want to do that. Yeah. I think it's him, and I think it's, it's a great sign for the future of the company if it is him. If it's Ronda... The whole narrative about, you know, gosh, the signings just aren't hitting the way they used to. Ric Flair being the most obvious recent uh, example. Uh, this this would continue that narrative. And I don't think that does a favor for, favors for anybody. So I hope it's Will. There's a whole hell of a lot you can do with them. They've done plenty with them already. But if, if, if you have him, you can strap the rocket to him, give him the world championship, have a main event all in. There's so much you can do. And I honestly, I feel like I've looked at guys like Ricochet and I've looked at guys like Shinsuke Nakamura. And then I say, what do you really think WWE is going to do with you, Will Ospreay? If the answer is you'll be the face of NXT Europe, boy, gee, golly, gee, Willikers, that's nothing. You, you, there's so much more you can do. Well, so uh, Jim is clearly uh, not, not a Jim will be disappointed uh in the comments that dude gonna fight mjf once then gets stuck in the mid card uh jim very much has opinions now um here's what i will say my only thing i think it's a win-win if it's osprey i think that's the best one i think that's the most logical one i think he fits in various different programs that you can put him in and and it's fine i think that's the one it will be for my note if it look i wanted monet at the beginning, like I've been wanting that to happen for a while. I just think she's honestly a combination of still hurt and also still has contract stuff that she wants to do in Japan because that's always been very important to her. So I think that's first when she comes back. Um, but my only thing is you did mention he's already been on. He's already been a, a part of AEW in, in several different instances, and he's had big matches as part of AEW already without even being signed just because of their relationship with New Japan. Yeah. So there isn't the shock factor that Khan likes to have if it is him. That's actually the only negative. I don't think I think it'll be a lot of people who are um, very plugged in going, yeah, that's awesome. But there is going to be, a, I think, a lack of overall excitement because he's already been here. You could can, even if he signed with New Japan or Impact, you could conceivably see him in AEW anyway because of the way they work together. So there is a little bit of it won't have that like, oh, my God, set the world on fire thing in in adverse to that. Rhonda would because it would be like, what the hell? But then in like a month, 
<laughs> it would it would have like it's not long term i think as good a pool as that right but in the short term it will get more attention uh i think Monet's the best of both worlds in that respect because it helps long term and it helps in the short term but I don't think it's. I don't think it's her. Um, and so my that would be great. Is there's a world of difference between hey, he's in New Japan, he's going to be here a couple times a year or two. Hey, he's on the show every week, and it's also it answers the question of is he going to WWE, which is the question. That's a big one. Yes, is, is yeah. a big question right now. That's so true. there, there's there's your shock value is nope. AEW got him. Yeah, mainstream. I don't know. I don't think it has the same pull it has it for us because we watched both products on a regular basis i don't think that hits the mainstream as much as a name like rousey does um so it is it will be interesting to see the reactions and and from the different bases as far as that comes in um so yeah so that is we will obviously have full coverage of uh aw full gear uh on the site uh wrestling team's all ready to go for that one so uh definitely check out comicbook.com for that uh, and then before we close the show, uh, we're going to go to a fun little episode of The Pull List. This one is bringing a little Star Wars. We actually haven't talked any Star Wars today. And we're going to talk Star Wars now with Star Wars Visions um, from, I'm, I'm hoping I say this correctly, Peach Momoko. Did I say that right? Did I say that correctly? I hope I did. Uh, number one. So this one is just like the um, the series that was the television series. And bringing this in, uh, Momoko's artwork is is beautiful. Um, I, but I, I've talked a lot already and, and I know Janelle and Kofi haven't had a chance to weigh in on comics uh, as much this week as, as I have, I feel like, so I'm going to shut up. <laughs> Janelle, what did you think of this? Uh, you sent it to me and I said, I'd read it. And I think that was the wrong thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> I looked at That's it. Fair enough. I looked at it. Amazing. It's the fastest comic I've ever read. <laughs> um, looked at but it was beautiful. Um, it, it is intriguing. I would love to see this in a live action or even like animated series, like show or something. Um, it's harder for me to really get into a book with no words um, when I'm not super, I don't know these characters at all. So um, I was kind of lost, but I was also enthralled by the artwork and by like, everything that was going on was beautiful um and scary too so yeah no uh peach's work is amazing kofi yeah. did this uh scratch the itch first of all somebody like get through a book report <laughs> read the book all right no but um yeah i mean i look bro i'm gonna be honest like we did a lot this week okay like <laughs> you're getting a lot of you're out of hand i read two alan scott books <gasps> I, wrote, I read everything we did for the poll list full episode which is out now be sure you guys are on that every week we've let matt cook on an entire little segment of comic stuff so green lantern all the x-men stuff that's happening you know star wars dark George. there's a lot going on this was i mean this was a release it, it was okay it was a unique vision of star wars which is what the series does but uh, you know yeah i mean bride what's in the thing i'm more on that high republic tip right now high republic's back baby and those comics are, are cooking in phase three. So all in all, this was kind of forgettable. And honestly, like I came to it just to see Peach's work before she takes on Ultimate X-Men, right? Yeah. Sure. And so like, I think that's what a lot of people are doing here for, with this book right now is just saying what kind of flavor. And, and I'm, I think that's the biggest comment I have is I came away for this. Like, 
I can't wait to see what this Ultimate X Men is going to be like. This is going to yeah, be wild. That's true. So that's I my agree with you. Well, I think that's a perfect way to end it. I do love that we have had like three. Well, that was the thing. <laughs> this this episode alone, we've had a show, a movie, and a and a comic. That's amazing. Across the we board. just got higher standards. We are cooking on so much content on this show now <laughs> that like. If something's just there, we're just like, okay, we got so much more to do than it's. I will say that we didn't touch on the what if thing, and I'm very, very excited about that. So I I know we have a sister podcast for that, but I'm very excited about it. I can't even keep up with all this. Yeah, there's a lot this week. You're right. Yeah. Webb had a trailer like Mario yeah. RPG is today. Yeah, that's right. Oh man, so much Wait, today. Mario RPG is released. Yeah, there's there's yes, so much. Yeah, you. yeah. There's there's a lot going on, guys. Yeah. We try to do it all for geek culture. Yeah. Is what I'm <laughs> We're trying. But anyway, com- that's talk to us on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, there's this comic book or X or whatever. Yeah, you see how much we're doing here. We have uh, bonus episodes trying to contain all this too. So make sure you guys are subscribed. I mean, pretty soon, man. We, I mean, Jim Fiscardi is like, right, we're going to probably pretty much do this every day at this point. It's pretty soon. So it's too much happening. But uh, we are the only show doing it all for geek culture. We're trying to keep it up with it all for you guys because we love our fans and we love just hitting all this stuff and keeping the bigger picture of geek culture together. Uh, you know, or we'd love to hear from you guys on Twitter. Follow us and tell us what you thought about all this stuff we talked about in Andre 3000's flute album. Uh, we're very curious what you uh, <laughs> think about that as all. Well as well i waited 20 years for this outcast thank you um i don't know what's as i tweeted i'm losing the plot out here guys it's this has been a weird week man this is a lot of weird stuff going down but uh we'll be here to capture it all this week and next week some program notes we are going to be doing something special for that thanksgiving holiday so right now guys we will not have a friday show next week our regular show we are taking a week off And we are going to do a special Thanksgiving episode that will drop on Thanksgiving. So we want you guys to be able to put on headphones and tell your family I need to bounce out for an hour, get in a corner and you can show with us because we have a special kind of holiday themed episode cooked up by your own Matthew Aguilar. So, you know, it's going to be a little bit bright and cheery element to it because that's how he gets down. So look for us for our main episode next week on Thursday, Thanksgiving. We're going to be taking next Friday off. Um, but we have a fun thing planned and it's, uh, it's a good one. And it's a good one to kind of sum up things for where we are this year. And it's been a crazy year. This is comic book nation. If you want to find me, you can find me at Kofi outlaw. You can find me at Connor Casey CBS. And if you're in the Hendersonville, Tennessee area, you can catch me this Sunday at the very first inst- uh, installment of FXC crush live. It's a new wrestling promotion here in middle Tennessee. Hope to see you there. Yeah. yeah. You can find Several. me at Matt Aguilar CB. You can find me at Janelle Wheeler. Or Janelle yeah. on Twitch. <laughs> we got several comic book people involved in this wrestling league, guys. This is it's all getting meta. It's all becoming like one big sphere here. Phase Zero is gonna need a new host if uh, if Brandon takes off wrestling. I'm covering someone's gonna show up on phase zero with a devil mask and then they'll <laughs> replace him. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Cut the feed. We are comic book nation. Peace. Let's get out of here. Later. This is-